And it is time for midday here on this Thursday, July 9th. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Of course, Jason Jorgensen will have sports here in just a moment. Bob Brogan is in for the midday business report as well. But our Susan Littlefield is in for the uh, farm team and another busy day. And Susan, take it away. What do you have for us today? Well, thanks so much, Tyler. Here's what's going to happen on a midday for a Thursday from the farm team. We kick it off at 1219 with the Angler Journey, the partner pillar, as Alex brings us up today with Director Tom Field about the sixth and final pillar, Partners. Then at 1245, I'll have Mike Steenhook join us. He's the Executive Director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. So we talk about infrastructure funding out of Washington, D.C. And then wrapping it up at 117, we'll talk with folks from K-State as the hot temperatures, how's that affecting your herbicide ability to do its job? That's a midday from the farm team. All good info coming up here in just a little bit. Thank you very much, Susan. Well, Jason, with sports, we don't know if we're going to have sports in the fall. That's, we don't. that's the biggest question mark. Uh, unfortunately, we keep edging toward not having it instead of having it. Of course, yesterday, the big news, as expected, the Ivy League is pushing all of their fall sports to the spring. And this morning, the ACC Board of Directors voted, and they are not having any sports played before the 1st of September. So that kind of affects their Olympic sports at this mm. point. You had Ohio State yesterday. They uh, shut down their workouts. Right. So you have Ohio State, North Carolina, K-State, and Kansas, I believe, that all shut down their voluntary workouts. Uh, the big boys are saying, hey, just because the Ivy League wants to do that, that doesn't doesn't necessarily mean the BCS schools want to, but... You can kind of see how this is shaping up. Well, and if you remember, back in early March, the Ivy League schools were the first to say we're not playing anymore, at least in the near future, and then everybody followed suit a couple days, week later. So it didn't take much, and hopefully, this is just personal, hopefully that doesn't happen. I understand if it does, but, you know, there's a lot to still be determined, and we still won't know if we're going to have college sports for another couple weeks, I wouldn't think. But the day of reckoning is coming. Right. So uh, I would think somewhere around late July, early August, they have to decide. Your gut feeling, what happens? They're not going to play it. Yeah. They're not going to be able to play it. And I think what's going to happen is, if they don't play in the fall, all those fall sports will then be moved into the spring. We've heard there will be college football in the spring. How wild will that be? It would be weird. And the biggest thing, it's all about the money. Right. How do many of these athletic departments continue to survive when they will not be getting the influx of cash that they normally get in the fall from the gate of their football games and also, more importantly, the TV money? It'll be very interesting. Obviously, volleyball, soccer, whatever else will be moved into the fall as well. Then you have to compete with basketball. So you'll have all these sports potentially in the spring. And so that'll be interesting to see how they they maneuver around all of that. Now, the one good thing in Nebraska is that our numbers at this point continue to be down. And I I hold out hope that they'll be able to have some form of school. And if they do, then maybe we'll see some form of high school sports. And it does sound like they're going to allow each university, each conference, to kind of make their own decision. So we'll wait and see what happens here in the next couple of weeks. Bob, how about stocks today? Looks like uh, a lot of red, which is not good. Stocks are lower in trading on Wall Street. Uh, playing off of the U.S. job market. Uh, more than 1.3 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week. And also the Supreme Court uh, is uh, wrestling with the issue of President Donald Trump's tax returns. A um, couple of rulings have come out on that today. It appears President Trump has uh, got the upper hand in that right now. 
All right, thank you very much. All that and more on mid Three. We're blazing a trail at Johnson Lake this Saturday. Listen for live remotes on the river and get your name in the box three times as we travel around the lake. We tee up at Lakeside Country Club from 9 to 9.45 a.m. Then it's prices rentals at Lakeview Acres for axe throwing from 10 to 10.45. And we'll wrap it up at Canyon Lakes Brewing Company, the home of fantastic food and brews from 11 to 11.45. Don't miss the fun this Saturday at Johnson Lake. Now 11.44 here at KRVN. Time for a look at your regional ag weather. Brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins is now joining us. And Well, Paul, yesterday and last night we did see some of that severe weather, including tornadoes out in the panhandle. Exactly, and a lot of the locations right in the central areas are getting some wind gusts up to 50 to 70 miles mm-hmm. per hour. We had some downed trees in Grand Island and uh, even a drowned, downed tree that blocked a street in Hastings area. And mm-hmm. also, of course, numerous reports of some power outage. But a lot of people wanting some needed rain, and a lot of okay. locations getting about a half an inch to right around an inch of rain with this system. As much as two inches fell in the wow. Columbus area. Well, so. that'll be nice, yeah. <laughs> especially for those areas, because a lot of Nebraska has been kind of dry lately, and a lot of the storms been going around Nebraska, it seems like. But Again, good to see that we got some rain in certain areas. Some of the crops, I know, got damaged a little bit here and there, but doesn't look like anything significant, at least from what I've seen. Exactly, and it uh, looks like the potential for a few more thunderstorms just not as great as what we did see with that system last night. Well, very good, and hopefully the thunderstorms don't continue, or at least don't bring the severe weather, more precipitation. Exactly. There is that potential for some rain, but overall looking at kind of a warmer and drier period as we move through the next 14 days right now our temperatures across the area mostly in the mid to upper 70s and we do have some low 80s actually in an area where we don't usually see the warmer weather and that's in north central and northeast nebraska a little bit of cloud cover over northwest and north central kansas that continues to sink towards the southeast in behind the passage of that cold front that moved through a break from the heat today with some sunshine and temperatures actually slightly cooler than average we haven't been able to say that in quite a while a few thunderstorms could develop late today over the high plains those storm leftovers tracking east through tonight now severe storms are possible especially over west central and western nebraska into northeast colorado where the storm prediction center does have a slight risk of severe storms most uh, they have expanded that slight risk of severe storms a little bit more to the east and basically lexington to norton on the eastern edge of that slight risk of severe storms earlier was only to about the north platte area so basically if you're along in southwest of a line from shadow to Lexington, you're in a slight risk of severe storms later today through tonight. Now, the day tomorrow will be dry with seasonal temperatures as the ridge of high pressure begins to build back up from the desert southwest. Leftovers of some thunderstorms from the Dakotas signing southeast tomorrow night. The slight risk of severe storms for tomorrow night over central and eastern Nebraska into northeast Kansas. Seasonal to slightly above normal temperatures will continue over the weekend through early next week. As our region sits on the outer edge of that high-pressure ridge, the weekend mainly dry. Often on thunderstorm chances start to return with some disturbances sliding southeast Sunday night into Monday and with a cold front by Tuesday. In our long-term forecast, above normal temperatures still remain likely for Nebraska and Kansas. Tuesday through July 22nd, that higher chance of heat in the later periods. Overall rainfall looks to be slightly below normal for Tuesday through the 22nd of Nebraska, for Nebraska and Kansas. In today's regional drop monitor, Nebraska dropped 7 percentage points to 57% drought-free. Areas of abnormal dryness to some moderate drought found in large parts of central, southwest, northeast, and northwest Nebraska. Kansas dropped 
four percentage points to only 32% drought-free. Much of the western half of Kansas and the southeast have normally dried to a moderate drought. In southwest Kansas, we find severe to extreme drought. Market impacting weather factors include heat and dry weather for the Midwest the next 10 days and the continued impact of much below normal spring rain in European and Russian wheat areas. A dome of high pressure over the Ohio Valley in the southeastern Midwest this next week to 10 days projected to bring a round of stressful heat and dryness. Western Midwest areas on the edge of that high-pressure dome will have a better chance for at least some periods of rain along with less stressful heat. For the southern plains, thunderstorms forecast for the eastern half through this next week. The western half of the southern plains, though, will be drier with hot temperatures. Non-irrigated corn, pasture, and livestock all expected to incur stress from the heat and dryness. In the Black Sea region of Russia, rainfall amounts below 50% of normal during the spring, leading to reduced wheat yields, the greatest impact in the large production region of South Russia. Rain crossing Ukraine next week will largely bypass the Russian areas. European wheat production sharply reduced after their dry spring. France and Germany incur most of that extensive dryness. So again tonight in our listening area in particular from the Panhandle down to northeast Colorado and northwest Kansas, that's where you have the biggest risk, a slight risk, but that's where you may see a, a thunderstorm here or there. Exactly. I mean, the rain chance is not as great as they were last night. We had a, a likely chance of seeing some okay. weather tonight. Uh, it's just going to see the leftovers of some of those thunderstorms fire up in the western high plains and then drift southeast. And once again, yeah, along and southwest of the line from Chandran to Lexington in that slight risk of severe storms if we do see any. All right. We'll bring on the rain. Hopefully we get some <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, Paul, where do you go to get your weather? Weather tab, krvn.com. Thank you very much. Good life, great stakes, and Nebraska. Don't they all seem to go together? Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield. I'm excited to have you join me every Friday as we talk about grilling some great Nebraska beef with the Nebraska Beef Council. Did you know that Nebraska consistently ranks in the top three for beef-producing states in the U.S.? And one out of every four steaks, burgers, and roasts comes from Nebraska. Make sure to tune in Fridays after 2.30 on KRVN. The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey. Celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. We're only in it for ourselves. There's not much joy at the end of that road. Thanks so much for joining. Partner is one of the six pillars of the Angler program. Tom Field is the director of the program, and he shares why Partner was chosen as a pillar. Partner matters to us because we recognize that anything noble that or worthy that's ever been created has been created by a team of people. Hollywood sometimes lays out this notion that the entrepreneur is this independent spirit, works alone, and, and that's just so wrong. Every great organization that's ever been built has been built by a team of people. We also really embrace partner because partner is a fundamental truth for healthy communities. And not only did we want to build successful companies and enterprises, we wanted to be part of helping our alums create really vibrant, exciting, healthy communities. Within the Angler program, Tom says that partner is seen in a number of ways. What our students and alumni have done is they have chosen to become owners. Our program is not run by the faculty and the staff. We're like really good 
sheepdogs. But we are we are only stewards of this. Partnership is about claiming ownership. Here's here's the best example, and, and this will this will be disconcerting to some people. We have a student executive team, uh, no officers, but a student exec team elected by their peers who serve as an advisory board to me. When we have our meetings, there have been times where that team has pounded a table and said to me, no, we don't want that to happen, or we think that's wrong. But because they have an ownership stake, they will tell me when they think I'm going down the wrong path, when we're making a mistake. Our alums weigh in all the time on the program. And I think that's partnership at its very best. In addition to partnership on an executive team, Tom says the program needs partnership to build businesses. Brugger's and what they're getting done with Upstream Farms is, is maybe one of the most powerful examples of partnership. Two brothers taking the wonderful legacy of a family farm and seeking the future together, combining their strengths to create something really valuable. The partnership that led to the women's initiative in our program. So we see partner on a lot of different levels. And Tom says we can incorporate partnership in our everyday lives. Partner that very phrase implies I'm going to seek a win-win opportunity in every, every chance I get. If we choose to be good partners, we can make things happen. Uh, that's what partnership is about, is looking at the people you're in the harness with and saying, I'm not going to be out-pulled. I'm going to pull my weight. I'm going to stop and help somebody when they need that help. We're going to build communities together. We're going to do this together. I'm going to find the pathway to take people with me. I think that's the heart and soul of what we can all do as partners. We're only in it for ourselves. There's not much joy at the end of that road. But if we can take others with us, true partners, then we create something powerful and meaningful. You can learn more about the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by visiting angler.unl.edu. Thanks so much for joining. Until next time, I'm Alex Wachowski on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Jason Jorgensen is now joining us. And, well, Jason, as we previewed about an hour ago, the biggest thing now in sports is... Are we going to have sports? That's the biggest question. That's very true. What we're trying to deal with now. And on the heels of the Ivy League postponing its fall sports to the spring, the ACC announced today that each of its fall Olympic sports will delay the startup competition until at least the 1st of September. That decision allows each campus to further focus on ensuring return to competition protocols are in place to facilitate that actual process. Now, the delay in competition includes all exhibition and non-conference games in the sports of men's and women's cross-country, field hockey, men's and women's soccer, and volleyball. The decision was unanimously approved by the ACC Board of Directors. Don't be surprised if you don't see more conferences follow suit. Or if you see schools like Stanford, who cut, what, 11 yeah, uh, sports does. yesterday? That's not going to help either. The last thing I know they want to do, the NCAA, is start and then have to stop in the middle of it. That would just be awful. Yep, it would. That would be, uh, be the worst of both worlds.
Former University of UNK assistant wrestling coach and current businessman John Erickson will be joining Hastings College this fall as its head men's wrestling coach. Erickson had spent the last year rebuilding a wrestling program at Alma. He will be the fourth head coach in the Broncos wrestling program's 13-year history. Well, the Nebraska Shrine Bowl continues to get closer and closer. Former Holdridge Duster cornerback Ethan Tuhig is a member of the South Squad, and he talks about the competition this week in practice. The competition drills are a lot of fun out here, and even just like the regular seven-on-seven type stuff is a lot of fun because you're just getting to communicate with different kids that are extremely athletic and are very knowledgeable about the game. And So you get to pick up pieces from coaches and players and just kind of learn as you're going along. Saturday's game can be heard right here on 880KRVN and 106.9 at Kearney with kickoff set for two. It was a wide-open race during the final round of the girls' amateur championship, but once again it was Aurora's Danica Berdura who was able to come away with the title. Well, just last month, she won the Nebraska Girls' Match Play Championship. She's just the sixth player to sweep both of those titles in the same year, and she talks about her big day. It is so special, especially going into college. It totally boosts my confidence, you know, because I'm going to be playing even up a level there so that um, after last season after finishing runner-up so many times it was my goal to win a major and then after I won my first one I'm like okay I'm gonna win more than one and I got two down and Tyler I know you're familiar with her work as well uh, that's a name worth remembering she has a bright future she is a bright future her brother was a stud he actually is now transferred mm-hmm. and is going to golf at the University of Nebraska Lincoln he was at Northwestern NAIA and then transferred there but yeah when I was out there at York both of them crushed it each year that was a name you could expect to see at the top of the leaderboard absolutely congratulations to her that's a big accomplishment that's a look at sports for more find it anytime at krvn.com thank you very much you bet Residents in much of Nebraska are cleaning up and waiting for power to be restored after a line of severe weather sent high winds, hail, heavy rain, and at least a few weak tornadoes to some areas. The National Weather Service in North Platte says weak tornadoes were reported Wednesday evening in unpopulated areas near Venango and Grant in southwestern and Thedford in northwestern Nebraska. Meteorologist Sean Jacobs says law enforcement and weather spotters in each of those areas reported multiple weak tornadoes. Jacobs says the Weather Service is working to determine whether there were multiple separated tornadoes in each area or whether people were seeing the same tornado at different spots. The city of Minden has declared a Stage 2 water warning and will continue until otherwise notified. A staggered lawn watering system will be imposed. That includes those with even-numbered addresses may water their lawn on even-numbered days. Those with odd-numbered addresses may water their lawn on odd-numbered days. Lawn watering is not allowed between 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Waste of water is strictly prohibited, and overall water usage is to be reduced by 15%. Governor Pete Ricketts has plans for how he wants to distribute... $1 billion in emergency aid provided by the Federal Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. But State Senator Steve Lathrop of Omaha has requested an attorney general legal opinion on whether the governor's plans should be approved by the Nebraska legislature. Senator Lathrop says there are too many questions about whether the governor has the authority, so he requested an opinion prior to July 20th when state lawmakers reconvene for the last 17 days of their 2020 session. 
Governor Ricketts says there's some history in his favor. Well, it's quite clear from the budget bills that have been passed for decades that I have the authority to be able to disperse those federal funds. So I'm quite confident that that's exactly what Senator Lathrop will get back when the Attorney General responds to him. Gearing Senator John Stinner, who heads the Appropriations Committee that pens the state budget, says he believes the governor has the power to spend the CARES Act money, but that is not a bad idea to get an attorney general's opinion based on the questions being raised. Federal officials say airport security officers found a loaded 9mm handgun in a bag at Omaha's airport. The U.S. Transportation Security Administration says in a news release that the gun was found Wednesday at an Epley Airport security checkpoint as the bag that carried it went through an x-ray machine. The TSA says Omaha Airport Authority police were contacted, confiscated the gun, and questioned the man who was from Omaha. Officials say the man told police that he had forgotten he had his loaded gun with him. He was released after questioning. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Laird. Back before they went on holiday recess, the House passed a $1.5 trillion infrastructure package. This package, though, not well embraced by the Republicans on the Senate side. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. We talk this infrastructure package with Mike Steenhook. He's the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. We looked at this package and what it's going to mean to the ag industry. We're happy to see, you know, some some fruitful discussions happening on the House side and, you know, passing this piece of legislation that, you know, does include a, a sizable amount of, of funding for infrastructure. And, you know, there, there are provisions in there that do ad- address the needs of rural America, and that's one of the been the big, you know, points of emphasis for the Soy Transportation Coalition and others is that we can't just focus on the needs of urban America. We also need to focus on the needs of rural America, including our rural roads and bridges. That's very critical. So there's some reason for uh, optimism, but the, the one of the big concerns that I and others have is this discussion continues to be along a purely partisan line. And if anything is going to get done this year, there has to be some element of bipartisanship because we do have a Republican-controlled Senate, we have a Democrat-controlled House, we have a Republican president. So there has to be some bipartisanship. And I think transportation is the best opportunity to have something that is bipartisan. And as long as we continue along this partisan track, it, it really doesn't bode well for something getting signed into law. And it is important because the window of opportunity to get something done continues to shrink. We, we do have an election on the horizon, and every day that passes without getting something done, we get closer to that election day, and that really starts to shrink the, the legislative window. One of the things that I've learned and see observed with, with farmers is if you waste time today, you may not recover it tomorrow. Farmers have this mentality that if the if the conditions are appropriate today, get the work done today because you don't know what the weather is going to be like tomorrow. And it's kind of that same principle applies legislatively. So today is the best day to get something done, and we encourage our lawmakers to, to do something bipartisan and do something that really is going to improve our nation's infrastructure. So looking at that and, and not seeing the embracement on the Senate side, what are you guys doing to kind of 
talk to these senators to talk about the crucial importance of infrastructure development. Yeah, you know, we we in agriculture and other areas and other industries, we care less about who gets it done. We care more about what gets done. Uh, we don't care so much about who gets the credit. We just want to see an infrastructure that is better positioned to make farmers, agriculture, and the broader U.S. economy more competitive. And so we continue to, to really urge action today. And you know, the the current, what's commonly referred to as a highway bill, that it's scheduled to sunset on September 30th of this year. The, the legislation was passed in 2015. So every five years, they need to pass a new highway bill. And so that's what the House is endeavoring to do. Um, if they don't have a new piece of legislation by September 30th, when the current bill sunsets, then every state in the country will be experiencing a significant amount of uncertainty about how the federal government is going to partner with them to build and maintain their system of roads and bridges and broader infrastructure. So every state Department of Transportation is very anxious for, for Congress, for the administration to really step up to the plate, to do something in a bipartisan, collaborative fashion. Uh, if they don't, we're going to have some real consequences um, in every state in the country in our ability to build and maintain our infrastructure. As you look, Mike, at all the infrastructure that needs to be updated, how does one pick which needs to be number one should all this funding get taken place? Well, I, I think, you know, it, it, it's, all, it's important to really think about our supply chain as indeed a, a chain, and that's kind of the operative word, and, and it's, a chain is comprised of multiple links. And you, you can't just focus on one link in the chain and put all of your resources into, say, the road and bridge link uh, or the port link or the inland waterways link. You, you really have to make uh, corresponding investments in each. You're only as strong as your, your weakest link. And so, you know, making sure that you, you have uh, sufficient funding for each of those links is really critical. And, you know, sometimes that means you may not be able to provide as much to one mode of transportation as you normally would, but just making sure that you're, you're providing sufficient funding in each of those areas. That's going to be, that's going to be really critical. And, and, you know, the needs are, are admittedly, they're very significant. Those comments coming from part of my conversation with Mike Steenhook. Mike, again, is the executive director of the Soy Transportation Coalition. And don't forget, there is a sunset on the final current law. The new one in a five-year bill has to be taken care of before September 30th. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Wall Street is slumping amid worries that recent improvements in the economy may be set to stall as coronavirus cases continue to climb. The sharpest losses are hitting oil producers, banks, airlines, and other stocks, whose fortunes are most closely tied to a reopening and strengthening economy. Tech stocks are holding up better than the rest of the market as investors continue to bet they can keep growing almost regardless of the economy's strength. More than 1.3 million Americans applied for unemployment benefits last week, a historically high pace that shows that many employers are still laying people off in the face of a resurgent coronavirus. 
The persistently elevated level of layoffs are occurring as a spike in virus cases has forced six states to reverse their move to reopen businesses. Those six, Arizona, California, Colorado, Florida, Michigan, and Texas, make up one-third of the U.S. economy. Fifteen other states have suspended their reopenings. The Supreme Court has upheld the Manhattan District Attorney's demand for President Donald Trump's tax returns, but kept a hold on Trump's financial records that Congress has been seeking for more than a year. The outcome in the two cases is at least a short-term victory for President Trump, who has strenuously sought to keep his financial records private, but the justice has rejected arguments by Trump's lawyers and the Justice Department that the president is immune from investigation while he holds office or that a prosecutor must show a greater need than normal to obtain the records. The coronavirus pandemic has pushed Walgreens to a $1.7 billion loss in the third quarter. The drugstore chain says the virus took a bite of between $700 million and $750 million from sales, with much of the financial damage coming from outside the United States. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brook. Imagine this, a brand new 2020 Chevrolet Blazer just sitting in your driveway this fall. You know, you can make it happen when you register to win with KRBN, The River, and Cami. Heartland Chevrolet and Buick, Lexington, Nutrien Ag Solutions, Cornerstone Bank, member FDIC, with 43 locations serving Nebraska, and Lexington Regional Health Center are all blazing new trails this summer and giving you more ways to enter to win. Look for the Blazer at summer events, register at participating businesses, and for the first time, you can register at krbn.com. Visit Cozad Auto Supply Cozad, Cornerstone Bank in Grand Island, Albion, and Wilcox, and Heartland Chevrolet Buick Lexington to register to win a 2020 Chevy Blazer from Nebraska Rural Radio. Learning more about herbicides from K-State University when the weather has its effects. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Well, the summer heat is definitely here and the crop producers need to be aware of how these high temperatures can affect the performance of the herbicide applications and how to really adjust it. K-State Weed Management Specialist Sarah Lancaster says that there's a biological reaction to the target weeds to hot temperatures and it can certainly influence the effectiveness of your herbicide treatment. As those plants start to shut down, they actually stop moving sugars as much around the plant and that process of translocation of moving those sugars throughout the plant is how a lot of herbicides for example glyphosate get moved through the plant and so when we're talking about things like glyphosate or some of our grass controlling herbicides things like select or post we might need to think about increasing rates of surfactant or using that maximum rate of surfactant using maximum labeled rates because those products are not going to be translocated to the active site within the wheat quite as much as they would. And another tactic would be to change the application time to a cooler part of the day to counter the uptake issues created by the heat. Another thing you could do would be to try to target those applications earlier in the morning. So plants have had the overnight to kind of recover from the heat stress. And so if you apply those 
systemic herbicides like glyphosate earlier in the morning, you'll increase the likelihood of getting good control there as well. And she says that this goes well for other herbicide compounds, not only with respect to weed control, but the well-being of the crop itself. Particularly with things like those group 14 herbicides, those PPO inhibiting herbicides, things like Cobra and Reflex, those are associated with crop injury. And as the temperature and humidity increase, the likelihood of that crop injury increases as well. So one of the things you can do to try to get around that would be to think about making those applications later in the day um, after temperatures have begun to cool off a little bit so that you can avoid the hottest part of the day. It seems like the, the threshold for kind of what is hot is somewhere between 80 and 90. So start kind of thinking about it when you get to 85. And when you get to days over 90, start thinking about how you need to adjust maybe the timing or the composition of your herbicide application to get maximum effectiveness. And as for dealing with resistance, there is a new sorghum production system coming down the line that will aid in the fight against resistant weeds. But for here and now, producers need to remain alert to the resistant threats, according to Lancaster. We have pigweed populations in the state that have resistance to atrazine. Um, I have just recently been contacted about a suspected population that's resistant to 2,4-D and dicamba out in western Kansas. And we've confirmed some of those resistances in populations as well. So, you know, herbicide resistance management really needs to be something that growers are thinking about. Um, It's one of the situations where it may cost folks a little bit more in time and money up front, but the long-term benefits of that are going to more than pay for themselves, particularly in the pigweeds. Herbicide resistance is something that's very important. As with any of your chemicals, always read the product label for further guidance on applying how crop herbicides on hot summer days can work for you. Those comments with K-State's weed management specialist, Sarah Lancaster. I'm Susan Littlefield, Girl Radio Network. Play Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, we're a day ahead of the next WASD report for June. Could we maybe see some demand come back around in this report? Maybe. Uh, you could also see it taken out as well. You know, we're well behind on export sales. Uh, you know, the numbers we got this morning won't, won't catch us up at all. We need to move about oh, a third of what the USDA had planned us moving with only a quarter less than the year. And usually this is the quarter when we tend not to move a lot of exports. So I would expect a downgrade comes at some point. It might wait till the next grain stocks report in September. Who knows what the crop looks like by then. So, um, but again, I don't think demand is really the, the you know, that's not wagging the tail here. Yes, I think spec funds could come in and sell it, but in the very near term, two weeks, I mean, there's so much weather uncertainty that I think you're going to support an outside. Three fifty December. Um, but once August 1 hits, and that would be the date I'd kind of draw on your calendar, it was last year. We took off the lows on August 1st and never looked back. Um, you know, if, if this crop would, would come in as good as the, 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 the folks who think the crop is good, you know, they could be 180, and then you're looking at, you know, cash corn probably needing to go into the low threes to just shut off some of the, the selling that needs to take place. 
in the broader markets go for maybe the more the macro market picture currencies today getting sh- shaken up as we've seen the u.s dollar kind of act deflationary gold maybe and treasuries maybe more the safe haven now though today the u.s dollar index definitely reversing on that what is making co- traders more confident in this despite the fact that congress is still talking stimulus yeah they're still talking i think that's the big key here what what's going to happen i think tradition really for me you look at the jobless benefits specifically the kind of kicker to unemployment benefits that was passed back in March, that'll end on the 31st. I think that'll change some behavior as far as what happens. If, if they would extend that, uh, you know, the dollar maybe goes more into this sideways trend of right here between 96 and, and, and uh, maybe even go down to 94 and something like that. Um, but if they don't extend it and if, you know, they have the hard line, I think the dollar goes back up again. Now, I think unemployment will do better. You'll see better unemployment numbers if they remove that $600 extra and just go back to the normal unemployment. That probably brings unemployment and job numbers up and maybe some more economic optimism. Long term, I think the dollar is down, but I don't think it's down against any of the major pairs. I think it's down against commodities and uh, really anything that isn't nailed down outside of currencies, which could be uh, you know some of these emerging market currencies that have really been beat up, like Brazil. And in, in that case, corn is a really good investment. So. And when say short term, I'm looking at it that way, but maybe over the next two to three years, corn could change change its stride. And again, John Payne with Daniel's Ag Marketing. Do remember, train futures and options involves risk of loss that may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up today's midday program. If you miss anything or any of our interviews, you can hear the midday podcast available on iTunes or KRVN.com. Our midday podcast is sponsored by Deveni Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Deveni Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DeviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Deveni deal.